You're listening to Create, Play, Repeat, formerly the Philly Dev Night podcast. We talk to makers of games about their process, from video to analog, professional to hobbyist, and everywhere in between. I'm Steve Pettit. Will Stallwood and his business partner, Dane Saint, founded Cypher Prime in 2008. Since then, they have launched six major titles, including the award-winning Pulse, Splice, and Intake. Will also co-founded the Philly Game Forge, a game co-working space and home of Philly Dev Night, which holds monthly game jams. After one such jam, Cypher Prime released Monster Want Burger for iOS, a kid's game about assembling towering burgers for a hungry monster. Now here's Will Stallwood on Create, Play, Repeat. When we first started talking about Monster One Burger, it was a game jam. Uh, my buddy Parker, we had been... The night before, we went to the bar, we had a bunch of drinks, we were drawing up ideas for a game that they were working on, and we were actually looking at games like dominoes, chess, and checkers, and basically board games where you're kind of like laid out in a grid. And, you know, I came back to Dane the next day, we started our own game jam, and we went about kind of putting things in grids, we went into Unity... And we basically stacked a bunch of stuff on the grid. And I was just like, oh, man, we should just throw a physics system on here real quick for fun. So we ended up throwing a physics system on these basically like checkers that were in mounds in a, you know, basically on a checkerboard. And then, you know, we were kind of dropping them on there and they were like sort of falling off. And we kind of looked at it. We're like, oh, shit, it looks like meat. And we had a friend, Gavin, who was here a couple years ago at this company, Super Mighty. And he'd made this like really quick hamburger making game. And we were instantly reminded of that game. We're like, oh man, what if that game actually had a physics system and you weren't like, you were just like slopping things out there, throwing things around. Uh, so the origin was actually like checkers. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, we ended up with like a little cute monster uh, where you throw food at its face. Uh, so the very first thing we made were pillars, like very large pillars. And uh, I think it was like a 64 by 64 grid. Like we made the grid, we made the pillars. And then from there, we started chopping the pieces of pillars in half. Oh, and then eventually those ended up becoming Berber patties. Uh, originally, they were supposed to be like kings and queens on the chessboard. Yeah, the, uh, the ordeals surrounding this game jam were really interesting. Um, this was our first time ever doing this, and I think it's the first time it's ever been done, but the the goal of the... There was a two-part game jam. Typically, we do a game jam every month, and it's two weeks. This one actually went over for the course of, I believe, an entire month. And so you had two weeks to create a game, and then you had two weeks to get the game to market in any kind of way possible and make money off of it. So there were actually two judging periods. We actually... We did really well. We ended up um, losing the overall for money. Uh, Greg Lobanoff ended up winning that. And we won the, ha- the, the halfway point, which was like most promising game. So we ended up under-fulfilling. Under and then later we released on iOS and it did really well. But as far as like the actual game jam, it was, it was a strange jam because you, know, you were actually judging based on how much money you made off of the game. And it was a lot more than just make game. It was like make game, hustle as hard as you can. Um, we also caught a lot of slack from it too because we're a larger company and people were like, why are you releasing this shitty little game with monsters in it for kids? And it's like, guys, 
we have our own time here. So, our first Unity game uh, was this game called Pulse. It's a really cool rhythm game on the iPad. Uh, still works, still awesome. Uh, it's all local music in Philly, but it's basically a rhythm game. It's like Guitar Hero, but it's a circle instead of it coming at you down a line. Um, but we went to go do that, and I just wanted to make a circle. Uh, I made the entire game in about eight hours, the prototype in Flash. I went to go do it in Unity, and I'm like, how the fuck do you make a circle? I honestly could not write it. I could, I could not make a goddamn circle. There were spheres, there were basic primitives, but it being a 3D engine was really limiting. There was no no drawing API. You couldn't hook up to OpenGL. You couldn't even draw a line. Um, and I mean, that was what, 2009, I think, is when we did that game. And we ended up having to do everything with textures, putting things on planes. And it was a really difficult task because, you know, we wanted to have a circle and we wanted the circle to come out. And the whole time we wanted the width of that that stroke to be the same the whole way out. You know, if you're in a vector engine in Flash or something, you'd be like, I want a circle and I always want the stroke to be three pixels and you'd update that every frame. Without a drawing engine in Unity, we really couldn't do that. And recently, we've been talking a lot about, you know, we developed our own programmatic primitives a long time ago so that we could do things like circles and squares in the editor. But I spend a lot of time in Affinity Designer or Illustrator or Photoshop coming up or sketching on a piece of paper, like what we're going to do. And then I end up having to redo it three or four times for different technologies along the way. So we came up with this thing called Unity Designer, and this was actually our first time ever really doing a full production run of it which is basically like a, you know, it's Illustrator inside of Unity, and it's mobile optimized. So for our game jams, we always give ourselves challenges. We'll be doing one, um, we have the Philly Game Jam coming up this Saturday, and uh, the challenge I've given myself is like a brand new platform. So me and my buddy Chris are going to be doing Arduino for the first time. But every time I'm trying to get something out of the game jams, and I am always trying to make something that I can, you know, people can play. Like, I want it to be a finished thing, whether, you know, not necessarily for sale, but I want it to be digestible in a way. And for that game in particular, using our art tools were really important, but we didn't want to just use our art tools like we've been using them. We, we had to do something different, and I really wanted to make a game with a character. And another thing we've been talking about just loosely is, since it was the Profit Jam, experimenting with business models. And one of the things we've done is, I mean, we've released games on so many platforms, and we've never, despite all of our games being family-friendly, ever released specifically just a kid's game. And, I don't know, I just when I was a kid, I fucking loved monsters and robots. And so I basically flipped a coin, and I was like, alright, well, we're doing monsters. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like first character was a monster, and I was pretty happy about it. You know, I think we're actually going to be doing story games as well. Um, you know, it's obviously not going to be something that is going to be necessary for the game. It's going to help the games along for us. So, you know, gameplay is always going to be king. Uh, but it's becoming increasingly important for us to have development based on characters and story um, and a little bit of a narrative. You know, loose, obviously not like, hey, I'm spoon-feeding you everything and this is an exact story. But it is a thing that we've been talking about a lot. Uh, we're working on Auditorium, Auditorium right now, which does actually have a narrative, but I don't think the, the narrative is going to be expressed any other way rather than music and visual design. Uh, there might be some some text in there or some dialogue, but it's not going to be a heavy narrative. But we do have, after Duet, we have games planned that are both character and narrative heavy. More on the character side. 
But I don't think you're ever going to see... Well, I mean, you might, but I don't think anytime soon you're going to see characters that are people. Uh, the monster thing and the robot thing is kind of... I don't know. There's It's a lot more expressive. It's a lot more fun. I mean, we see people every day. We never get to see monsters, so I feel like that's real fun. I want more monsters in my life. You know, the biggest challenge was it wasn't just making a character. It was, number one, making a character... And then also making the entire thing in Unity. So, I mean, there was no outside assets used. Everything we made and created inside of Unity with our tool. And that tool, like, was not tested. It was, we, you know, the whole time we were doing that game jam for that week and a half, we were, like, ripping it apart and putting it back on again. And, you know, like, keep in mind, like, it wasn't our day job. Like, this is what we were doing at night after work. And so... Um, you know, we just had a long day of programming and design, and then we had to jump into this tool that was fucking breaking every five seconds. And so a big part was just trying to figure out how to get that tool working and also make the character. But we always tried to, like, you know, we, we saw some things going well and some things going bad. So when we noticed things like the designer was working okay after the first week, we did get the character in there. The next thing for us was, like, it was basically an art style uh, which we hadn't tried before, which was, I believe the name of the company is Gnop, it's like G-N-O-P. I don't know, we saw this video on Kotaku, um, I want to say maybe a year and a half ago, and it was a company, and they basically just did a demo reel, and it's this really cool room, and it had a really soft art style, pastel color palettes. So that was one of the things we also wanted to do. I mean, so the Cypher Prime games traditionally have a very specific look, and it was also important that you know, every game jam game I do, I try to do a new look, not just the same, like, hey, this is what Cypher Prime stuff looks like. Because, you know, Cypher Prime can, can be its own look, but I want things that I personally do to keep evolving so that as an artist, I'm not just like, oh, I can make beams of light really well. Um, so there was a quite, quite a few challenges there, mostly on the, uh, the art side of things. We didn't really have any crazy programming challenges other than uh, getting all the dynamic mesh generation stuff working on iOS, um, which was kind of a difficult feat. You know, I'm, I don't come from a math background. In fact, I like failed out of math so many times. I've had to go back on Khan Academy and reteach myself everything up to trig. And spooling geometry just for me, you know, some people it's super super easy, but for me, it's it's a problem. Uh, luckily, I have Dan; he's much better at that sort of stuff. But a lot of our a lot of our more our technical difficulties were based on. Um, basically like leaking meshes and updating them on the fly and uh, lots of things with Unity. Like we had a lot of dark magic we did where uh, we had to build our own reflection tools to uh, reflect the Unity classes because we needed like handles and stuff that weren't uh, publicly accessible and there was no documentation on all of them. So we have this class we call uh, dark magic and it's a window pane you can bring up and you can reverse uh you can basically do reverse reflection on all the classes in Unity, so you can actually see like what is the Unity team using to build all the GUI elements for Unity, so we can kind of strip them out and use them. Uh, one of the larger challenges for the designer was actually getting it like in the scene view, so there were buttons in the scene, because we didn't want to have a crappy interface. We wanted to be able to literally draw primitives in the scene view you know, while the game is running or not. And there's just really no access, like no public access for that. Um, you know, that is subject to change. And, I, you know, that was, you know, I guess almost six months ago now. So, hell, it could have changed because Unity changes so fast now. They're doing, like, a new update every three months. But when we had made it, there was definitely no public interfaces for that. And so writing all those black magic classes were interesting. 
um, Unity and just in an update where reflection classes crashed a lot. Uh, so whenever I wrote the reflection classes wrong, uh, basically like it would be a 15 minute restart. And that was certainly a problem. Um, but yeah, I would say the reflection stuff is sort of, uh, was our biggest hurdle. And there were a lot of interface design problems that were hurdles as well. And we didn't want a tool like Illustrator. I, you know, I've been using Illustrator for a very long time and it's, you know, it's sort of a necessary evil, but it's not a thing that I really want to advocate at this point, especially when you have like programs like Affinity Designer, which was one of our inspirations for uh, this tool, because it's sort of a, it's Illustrator, but it's 2.5D, right? Like you can, you can make a circle, you can make a ring, and then you can extrude it backwards. So it's still an actually a 3D element. And in Monster One Burger, we did a really great job of faking depth by changing the colors of the walls and the objects and the monsters and everything that extrude back but there's not a single light source in the entire game. Uh, but if you look at it, it does look like there's a light source, uh, but it's not, it's all basically faked. Yeah, I mean, the game kind of, it's, sort of a bitch to play uh you know when i first made the uh the drag stuff we actually we used unity's like out of the box uh you know rigid body drag scripts it did not work well it just like flopped all over the place and then i threw some code down kind of hacking away from that just using a hinge and it was shit like it, it's kind of shit and uh that is still what we use for our drag and drop code we made it better and then the game wasn't fun when we made it better. It was definitely a lot more... It's definitely funnier when you're, like, throwing stuff in the air and, like, the burger patty's hitting the monster's face and the monster gets angry and blinks and stuff. And that was, you know... That was definitely an accident. And I even went ahead and fixed the whole thing, went back, and I was like, no, let's go back to the crappier version. Uh, which just ends up making the game a little bit more fun because, you know, if you go and drop an ingredient on the the plate you can totally drop the ingredient on the plate that's cool but now you can also fling them too if you get a finesse about it and then there were a couple other things that sort of uh, emergent properties that ended up one of the things we have is we have a timer for the level for how long it takes to do a level there's also these miniature timers that go above the heads of each burger so technically if you have at least one of those timers going you can play indefinitely and one of the things we ran with was the fact that like you know, originally it was just going to be one burger. We put those timers in there. We realized, like, if you're good at it, you could do multiple burgers. And even better yet, if, like, if you hold on to a patty, like, when the when the game's done, the monster goes to suck up everything, but he can't suck up the patty you have in your hand. You know, so when you go into the next round, you already have the patty, and you just drop it back down where you were. You know, that was one of those things we were like, oh, we could fix this, but this is, like, a really cool emergent gameplay property. And we actually had quite a few of those where there's actually some, like, breadth and depth in this gameplay, which is essentially like dragging and dropping circles. And uh, all that stuff sort of came up um, by accident, and we sort of ran with that and then added like combo systems on top of all of it. Uh, Dane went ahead and made this like really crazy burger naming algorithm so that every burger had a unique hash and funny names. And so then we went ahead and we uh, we showcased that at the end of the game. So we'd be like, oh, I got a double classic bourbon cheddar special from New York. Um, and, you know, that was all kind of from the happy accidents of, like, what happens when the game changes levels. Because essentially all that happens in the game is that we just suck everything up with forces. But if 
something is away, like if it's stuck on the plate or something, it can't get sucked up. So funny things sort of happen there. I, my favorite thing is uh, taking those objects and, uh, you know, like grabbing them from round to round and trying to make as many burgers as you can. I watch people play all the time. Nobody ever makes two burgers. But you, like, hypothetically, if you're fast enough, you know, especially level one, there's no reason why you can't make, like, ten burgers. Um, that's something that I feel like people just don't do a lot. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a teaching problem or not, because, you know, once again, it is a game jam game, so, like, we made the game in two weeks, like, on the off time, but I don't think it is. I think it's just generally, like, people, you know, some people do get it and they play with it, but it's a rare instance. Yeah, so one of the cool things about Monster One Burger for us, and this will actually, going back to the challenges thing, I completely forgot that this was a part of our challenge. We don't have, despite having, I think, like four editor's choice from Apple, all of our games are on iPad. We don't have a single iPhone game. So, you know, we'll be at the bar or something, and people are like, oh, cool, you make all these games in Philadelphia? And we're like, yeah, and then they go to look it up on their phone, and there's not a single thing they can play. Uh, the humor in it is now when we're in the bar and we're like, we make games in Philadelphia and they look us up, they get this silly, stupid burger flipping game. Uh, but, uh, you know, I hear people all the time, like, they really like the game, uh, which I think is phenomenal. And it actually did launch with Editor's Choice when it finally did make it to Apple, which is pretty, pretty cool. And when we were in the, uh, the Prava Jam, we actually launched it on our site and we did a pay what you want model. Um. That was interesting. We got a lot of data from that. Ultimately, at the end of the day, doing the pay what you want for a launch is probably not the greatest idea. But we did actually receive a lot more money from our site personally than we really thought we would have, especially for just like hitting the mailing list and putting it out there. But the game is actually still uh, it's still selling well. As far as like the Cypher Prime games that are on iOS, it's like I think you know it's 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 in the mix with our big games that we spent three, you know, two to three years making. Uh, it's making the exact same amount of revenue. And now when I go to the bar, I can show somebody one of my games, even if it's a silly little monster monster game. I mean, one of the things that, you know, Dan and I talk about a lot is that, you know, you can make a game for two months, and if you want to make money off that game and you want to uh, basically make games professionally, you almost need to be marketing for twice as long. One of the things that we learn specifically about our business and something we've been doing long for really like wrong for a really long time is um, like basically creating and taking assets as we go along so that we have marketing material when the game finally launches because of the way we were using our tool and we were really trying to document our process for for everything and how we were working on it what ended up happening was he has all these like amazing high-res renders of the thing so by the time we actually went to go launch on the asset store like on the uh, on the app store the marketing material was already done. You know, somebody from press would contact me and say, hey, do you have a cool, like, weird photo of the the monster? And I'm like, yeah, what do you what do you want? I've got, like, all sorts of weird things. I'm going to Photoshop anything you want in the monster's mouth. Uh, lots of weird requests. Um, and, you know, that stuff was already there, whereas normally, uh, for us, we'll launch a game, and, and, you know, prior, like a week or two prior to the game launch, we're, like, scrambling to make marketing material. Uh we, because of the style of the game jam and the way that it was set out, it was a two two week two week format. You know, it really it really showed the importance of having all that marketing material and making sure you have that stuff. I mean, after the profit jam was done, uh, you know, we got second place. We were looking at it. and we We're like, wow! Like, 
the game is there and what's not there is all the marketing stuff. So we did spend so we spent another two weeks and that's how we ended up getting on the app store and all that sort of stuff. And I mean the making of the website and that creative material took a long time. Um, all told, like marketing and selling the game took three times as long as the game itself. And I think that that should be I think that's pretty relative for scale. So these games we've been doing years like you know we've been making for years probably we should have been pimping for years. Uh, well, we're definitely still using designer. Uh, as far as things that we can take away from this jam, like on a technical side, designer is going to stay for sure. Um, on an art side, I think we're going to keep doing characters because we had a great time. It also made promotional material easy because there was something to actually promote. You know, it's hard when you make games with beams of light. You're like, well, do I show the pink light or the purple light? It doesn't really matter. It's a piece of light. Um, the other technical stuff, we still use the black magic classes, all of our reflection classes. They're pretty much here to stay. They've helped us a lot. And uh, I think those were like the main enhancements to our thing. We also, um, you know, we've had a default package for a long time, like little, simp we call them simple scripts. They're things like things that rotate and stuff. We actually stripped down one, two of the strips uh, scripts to be oscillators. So we have one that's oscillate position and one that's uh, oscillate rotation. We use them in everything we make now. Like, it's the simplest thing. Like, you know, like, in Unity, it's a little bit harder to go in and, like, hit the renderer and be like, okay, well, I want the alpha to fade up and down, like, if you're going to do, like, a press start button. But in five seconds, we can throw a script on there that makes it bounce up and down or shake left and right or do both. Those classes, you know, we've had them for a long time, but we never made them into oscillators for whatever reason. They're, like, the simplest pieces of code. Uh, and we just reuse them all the time now. There's quite a few things I'd like to fix in Monster One Burger. Just mainly that, you know, it is a simple arcade game. I'd love to add more breath gameplay. I'd like to add a different mode that is a little bit more like super fast-paced, Simon says, for kids that's a little bit less tactile because while moving them around and drag and dropping them is super fun, it's also not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to do. It definitely requires like a little bit more patience and skill and, you know, patience isn't necessarily a thing that children like. Uh, the other thing that I would want to change is the monster isn't as expressive as, as I like. Uh, you know, we didn't... It's just basic geometry, and there's no, like, spline or skeleton to animate on it. It's everything's kind of hand-animated with code. So really, like, the monster has two expressions, which is, like, happy and angry. Uh, and I guess he has a third one, which is, like, mouth open when he, like, swallows all the, the ingredients from the burger. But, you know, I'd love it if you, like, just... You know, if you hit his face and he kind of, like, winced a little bit, you know, and he made a little bit more noises than a roar. Like, giving the monster a little bit more personality, I think, would have been uh, a lot of fun. What would I do with infinite budget and infinite and no restrictions? Um, I, you know, the answer, I don't actually know the answer to that. Uh, I haven't thought about it that much because like the world doesn't work that way and <laughs> I'm a little grounded um, I don't know if it would be a game actually uh, which is the first thing I would have to say um, it would probably be something more art related maybe teaching uh, one of the things that I've been really into for years you know doing game jams and helping run the forge and dev night uh, is I'm super into community building and I love the idea of, of helping kind of uh, basically help people do what they want to do and so I'd probably do something like on a large scale uh, teaching or uh, community building evangelist sort of side of things um, 
some sort of platform or way of engagement to help people with that. I mean, I don't know what the hell that would be. I'd have to think about it. Um, on the game side of things, I already know like what kind of game I want to make and you know having my own game studio like technically there is infinite money the, the infinite money is like how much am I willing to work from seven o'clock at night till like five in the morning till I have to come back to work again and um, I'm working on that game right now uh, and it's an FPS game so we'll see what happens and uh, I probably won't finish it but you know <laughs> um, uh, I feel like uh, the first person shooters these days are all kind of shit and they're sort of the same thing, and it's it's weird because everyone's making FPSs, uh, but I don't see a lot of good ones. Um, you know, my my basic thought is, uh, you know, I think back to Quake, and I think about the fact that it almost has no max speed cap. In Unreal Tournament too, like it has really uh, uh, expansive movement with the double tapping and everything, and the guns are arcadey, and they're, you know, there's give and take when you're fighting somebody. Like, you hurt them, they hurt you. You know, like, Call of Duty now, you shoot somebody in the head and they die in five seconds. There's no, like, actual give and take in the gameplay. It doesn't feel like combat. It doesn't feel like you're, par like, sparring with somebody. It just feels like insta-gib, which is basically, like, one very old-school version of an FPS. And then all of the grounds in reality are really strange based from an art perspective as well. Like, the fact that all FPS games are uh, people... Like, I know it's first-person shooter, but, like, we know what that is now. You're, like, in a field of view from a first-person perspective, and you're shooting things. But they don't necessarily have to be people. You don't necessarily have to have gravity that's down. You don't have to have a max speed cap. Uh, there's a lot of weird things that nobody's really experimenting with. And so I guess if I, if I had to choose a game, I would probably spend a lot of time experimenting with all these things that haven't been experimented that much with. I mean, the fact that every FPS game has, like, a hitbox that never changes on the character. Like, that's a weird thing. Like, And also, it's always a character. You know, if it was a box and the box floated in there and it got smaller and the hitbox got smaller, that's an interesting challenge because now a hitbox always gets smaller, you know, based on gravity, like the guy ducks. and. But, you know, what if the guy doesn't duck and he, you know, expand, you know, contracts from the center? Things like that. But I'd probably spend a, a good amount of time, like, researching those things and see what comes out of it. Yeah, so I'm Will from Cypher Prime. Um, we're a game studio based out of Old City, Philadelphia. We help run the Game Forge and Philly Dev Night. So if you're ever around on a Thursday, come by, uh, hang out. And uh, our website is cypherprime.com, uh, which is C-I-P-H-E-R-P-R-I-M-E.com. Uh, we've got a couple cool games. If you're into music, if you're into puzzle games, any kind of experience-driven games, we have lots of things with lights and sound. Uh, so check it out. Thank you for listening. The intro and outro music is Blue Light by Skydive Dubai. You can find him on SoundCloud. Music during the episode is Monster Burger Mambo by Dane Saint, featured in Monster Want Burger. Create Play Repeat is sponsored by the Philly Game Forge, the home of games in Philadelphia. If you are looking for an affordable, community-centric workspace that welcomes all skill levels, please visit phillygameforge.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please send an email to team at phillygameforge.com. If you're looking for more episodes, please visit phillydevnight.com slash podcast.